What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 9 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Kimball Lewis. He is the CEO of Empowering Parents, an organization that provides parents with the tools to manage the most challenging behavior problems with their children ages 5 to 25. I can't wait for you to meet him and hear our conversation. Enjoy meeting my new friend, Kimball Lewis. All right, here we go, talking fatherhood with Kimball Lewis. Kimball, thanks so much for jumping on Fatherhood Field Notes. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Ned. Yeah, I've been looking forward uh, to the conversation. So just to kind of give people an understanding of who I'm talking to, I like to ask some uh, some upfront questions uh, just so c- people can connect with you. How old are you today? I am 53. Had to think about that for a minute. But I'm 53. I know. I love everybody's uh, smile or face like, oh, I wasn't expecting yeah. you to ask me that. Good thing this isn't a motherhood podcast because I don't think that question would go over too well. Um, 53 years old. All right. How many years you've been married? 22. What's your anniversary date? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's okay, December 20... 30th. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good man. Nice. Um, and it was 2000. So I know the anniversary date because it's whatever the year oh, is. So you're it's 2022. Dog. So 22 is 22. That makes it pretty so, easy. That yeah. makes it pretty easy. Nice. Okay, so uh, 20 plus years. Fantastic. And how many kiddos do you guys have? Two. Two boys. Two boys. And how old are they? And, and, and they are uh, 20 and 18. And we are new empty nesters. They they wow. moved away. They would have moved away a, like a year ago. Well, two years ago because the pandemic thing. Yeah. Um. Everyone was stuck at home. But but last fall they moved away. So we've been living without them for for uh, eight or nine months now. It's been interesting. How's that transition for you? It's been it's I, actually it's been awesome. It's been great. Oh, yeah. Like like uh, I like my wife a lot. <laughs> She's pretty awesome. So, um, we've like not having the kids around, like we've, our relationship has actually improved. I would say we have, Mm. we're just buddies. We spend more time with each other and, and, uh, I don't know. We like, I like having the kids away. I miss them a lot because I'm really close to my kids, but I like, I've, I've really, I didn't know how I was going to react. I was actually very nervous going into this empty nest period. Yeah. I thought I might have like, like just tremendous sense of loss of not having my kids around. And I do have that, but it's not too bad. And, and mostly I'm just enjoying hanging out with my wife and, and doing whatever we want without any res- without any regard to the kids. So beautiful. So I'm going to deviate from my, my questions here for a moment. So, you know, I, I have a daughter that's 16. She's my oldest. My youngest is nine. We have five kids. Um, and I'm starting to see the writing on the wall that my daughter, you know, she's looking at colleges. She's talking about colleges. She talks about what she's going to do when she moves out, those kinds of things at 16 years old. Right. So, you know, and, and I, I believe that my wife, Sarah, and I have a great relationship, but for all of us listening, uh, what are a couple key tips you would give for a, a husband and wife or for a husband to engage in with his wife 
through those high school years, knowing that day's coming, because, you know, when asked the question, you're like, I think my wife's awesome. We have a good time together. And that's after 20 years of marriage, kids moving out. So a couple tips that you would give that helped cultivate your perspective of saying my wife is awesome and I enjoy being with her. We, um, I'm glad you asked that actually, cause we, we, um, my wife's actually not always awesome and I'm not always awesome, but we both, we share a perspective, which is that we value our marriage a mm-hmm. lot yeah. and we tried like, like I try to be a good husband. She tries to be a good wife. I try to be a good father. She tries to be a good mother. Like we have this role that we play. We try to do a good job at it. And I like my wife, not because of her person. I like her personality, but, but that's not like, it's more than that. It's she tries, she tries to be a good wife. She tries to be a good mother. I try to be a good husband and whatever. So we have this role that we're trying to play and we work at it and we value the marriage and we know that we're not perfect, but we both have this commitment to the, to the marriage that, and she has that also. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad we found each other because we both have that sort of commitment and we know neither one of us is perfect and I don't look for her for my happiness and thank God she doesn't mm-hmm. look to me for her happiness because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all, we're all broken in various ways, but we have, we both have this perspective that our, that our marriage is like this third party thing that, that we, that we, I don't know, that, that we just yeah. have this so, respect so t- and, and work towards. So, yeah. So two quick questions out of that. One is you could answer quickly. Did both of you have good examples of parents who modeled that for you? And then the second question to that is, is, is there a deeper conviction or some sort of morality around marriage being important that holds you to that belief? Yeah. I'd like to say there was a, there was a, um, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a product of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was mm. 17. Mm. Uh, and then my wife, her father, um, was killed when she was five. Wow. So she grew up without a father. Mm-hmm. Um, her mother never remarried. They were, they were immigrants. They, she was, she was living in Syria. Her father died in Syria. They moved to the mm. United States when she was seven. So she never grew up with a father. Uh, and I grew up in what I thought was a great family. And I think it was a great family. I didn't know my parents were going to get divorced. I was the youngest child at age 17. They got, they got divorced. But before that, I didn't really know there were problems. And mm. actually I give them a lot of credit for doing that, which is they kept me out of it. I didn't yeah. really know there yeah. were, there were, they had issues. I'm aware they have issues now, but at the time I didn't, I was kind of ignorant and they sheltered, they sheltered us as kids from what was going on in their marriage, which I, I, I actually thank them for that. I don't, so, I, don't, I don't think that we needed to know that stuff. And I don't think, I, th- I think it would have been hurtful for us to know what was going on. Man, thank you for sharing both those things. I think, you know, I think it, it, the anticipation uh, was like, oh yeah, we both had great parents, right? So I think that the stories are both unique. And I think it's really powerful because us listening, if we decide, right, to make marriage a priority, regardless of what our history is, it's ultimately your decision, right, to to, to navigate with whatever you had. Yeah. So then the second part to that question and was... I was going to follow up on, on one thing, which is that, is that despite all that, like, I was very close. My father, my father passed away about 20 years ago, mm. um, but we were very close growing up. And even as before I got married, and he was a, he was a therapist, actually, so he did a lot of, you know... And, but we had a close relationship. And before I got married, I was very nervous getting married. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm from, I'm from parents. Like my parents were divorced. Mm. My brothers have both been divorced. Like, like there's divorce everywhere in my family. And I was, and I was worried about getting married. And despite, despite the fact that, that his marriage didn't last, he did say to me, he goes, it's, he goes, because I was like, am I marrying the right person? And I'm like, all panicked. Mm. He said, he said, you know, you have a choice in whether or not it works. 
It's not like it's not like you're trying to make the decision. Is it going to work? You actually have a say in, in how it works out, and that was very powerful to me because I'm like, you know what, you're right. And I talked to my wife about that before we got married. I said like I'm very nervous about getting married, all this other stuff. She's she's like, I think we can do this together. Like we're very open about the fact that if we both work at it, we can make this we can make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we, we had less of this fear. Like, did you marry the right person? Whatever. It was more because I think I did marry the right person, obviously, but but um. But the idea that we have a say in whether or not it works out is was very powerful to me. So, and I think that's and my wife had that same perspective. So I think that's that's what helped us get through is that is that we realized that we if we work on this, we can make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad had told me, and I think his dad told him this, um, because my mom and dad are still married thirty eight years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, thirty eight years. My parents are married. They are polar opposites when it comes to faith, their religious beliefs, as well as their political beliefs, which is super interesting. But my dad told me and his dad told him, you you don't marry a person, you marry an idea. Um, and that's like what you're saying is this idea that marriage is bigger than just each of us individually, but it, it's bigger than that. So last question of that, and then, I'll, and then we'll keep cruising here is, is there some deeper conviction for you both um, why you've put such an emphasis on marriage being important? Um, I, I mean, that's like, that's actually a really good question. Um, I, I feel like it's part of the human experience. Like I'm supposed to get married. I don't, uh. you don't have to. So not everyone has to get married. Not everyone has to have kids. And I had been through a few relationships and I, and I settled myself that I wasn't going to get married. I was probably going to be single the rest of my life. And I sort of accepted the fact that I was going to be single. Hmm. And then at that point I met my, my wife. So we didn't, I didn't have like. I didn't have a sort of a preconceived notion about all those things, but my wife and I are both Christians and we both have a, uh, we both have a, um, an outlook that we, we have this higher calling that our marriage is part of. Yeah. So I think, I think that helps. Um, I became, became a Christian later in life. She was, she's was been a Christian since she was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of, uh, that has to definitely has an influence on us. So, yeah. And I think, and that's, I kind of just trying to uncover it because, because the world and our society tells us like makes us kind of feel like it doesn't matter and then life is just messy so i feel as though some of us we long for like a foundation to turn to like if we come into this situation we have this kind of tradition to look to and not the because the bible says so but i really loved your answer in it's part of the human experience and i get the disclaimers of like right? We get the disclaimers of, of you could do human life differently, but there is kind of this, in my mind, this way it was designed in a sense. And I mean, marriage is a gnarly, if you go in all in on marriage, you are given the opportunity to continue to really become the best version of yourself because you're always confronted with, with like not being selfish. So, uh, yeah, love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So quick question here. What do you do for a living? I hate this question because we typically use it to size each other up as men. The reason why I ask the question is because I think it helps men realize that fatherhood is a level playing field, whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you uh, you know, are whatever else, whatever else you want to list on there. Fatherhood is a level playing field. So what is it that you do for a living? So, so I've had two careers. I, I call them two careers. My currently... I own a company called empoweringparents.com and we provide uh, resources, coaching plus parenting programs 
it's kind of like a how-to book, how-to manual on dealing with kids who are very defiant. Hmm. And it's like, what what do you do when you have a kid who's acting out all the time, defiant? Um, and, uh, and, and how do you handle that as a parent? Like, and it's basically like, it takes, if you have a kid who's really defined and having, and having, and struggling, um, it's basically a guideline that here's how you have to approach that child. And we take the, we take the standpoint that, that kids are different. Like you get, we, very often we have, a, you know, parents that have three kids and two of them are just getting along fine. And one of them's, one of them's really hard. And, and you have to parent that child differently. Like mm. what, you know, what you think worked for the first two kids, like a lot of it's like, cause those kids are easy. They just, they would have been easy for anyone. Some kids are just really hard. And when you get a really hard kid, like it's, it's a challenge. So we provide resources for, for parents, um, for, for how to deal with, how to deal with those kids. And it's the stuff that we have was, was work that was done by a guy named James Lehman, who had spent 30 years working with, um, uh, defiant kids in group homes primarily. And he had an approach for dealing with, with the issues that came up and, and he wanted to empower parents. That's why it's called empoweringparents.com. He wanted to empower parents through his, through his approach to, um, on how to deal with it and use the same skills that they'd picked up over 30 years. And, and it, it's really helpful. So it's been, it's, it's been a great journey. We work with a lot of parents and, and, um, it's been very gratifying. So that's been seven years prior to that. I spent 20 years in, um, I have like a, I have a, um, technology background and I done okay. a whole bunch of startups with healthcare and, um, and analytics. So analytics and healthcare and, and data and that kind of stuff, very sort of technical stuff. And then, and then after 20 years, like I did a, did a few startups with, and, um, I'm like, I gotta do something different. Like, I don't like, I didn't want to be in healthcare anymore. I was becoming disenfranchised, um, disillusioned with, with yeah. being in the healthcare industry a little bit. So, um, and all my work had been business to business, if that makes sense. Like yeah. my customers were insurance companies. Like it, that's now it's business to consumer. Like the people that I'm working with are the actual parents that are dealing with these issues. And it's, it's, it's like, I have a, a sense of, of, of what we're doing is very, matters a lot because we hear from the parents every day, you know? So. Yeah. Beautiful, man. I love the work you do. And then not to discredit, not to discredit, um, our current state of how, you know, there's like coaches and, uh, lots of online programs and click funnels and uh, all these tracks. So not to discredit any of that. Love it. Love the work. Incredible. But, you know, in looking at empowering parents website, you know, you've had, and the numbers are right here on the front page. I just opened it up again, but, um, you know, 40,000 people have gone through your coaching. 500,000 people have done, you know, your program. And then, you know, it says 40 million people have read your articles. So the reason I bring that up is you've been the CEO since 2017. The, the organization has been around a while. Uh, you have a list of coaches and, and this isn't, you know, you started this six months ago. So not to discredit those guys. Okay. Cause it's, they're doing good work, but, but parents, if you're listening to this right now and you have a child that you're really having struggles with, um, and, and I'll just say a th one minute about where I'm at is this is, this is proven work that can be helpful to you. And right. So shoot, man, right now, um, just to kind of be vulnerable with everybody, my nine-year-old, we're having just a heck of a time. She's the youngest. She's the baby of the family of five kids. So like we just made this big, because the other, she hasn't been sleeping in her bed. She keeps getting up every night, every night, every night. And, and the other night she's sitting in our room and I felt like if I don't figure this out now at nine, 
I can see that at 16, I can see her slamming the door and tell me to go F myself because we're you're right. And so, man, dude, we've been work. We, we created this incredible chart. It's in her room. She gets stars now for staying in her bed and managing her blow ups. And it's been really cool, you know? So, uh, it's been really cool to see. And like last night we had a family meeting and, and she's really trying to mature. So she turns 10 in 90 days. So we kind mm-hmm. of got this 90 day chart, like, we want you to mature by the age of 10 and she's all in right now. Um, so, so anyways, it, you know, uh, that sounds goal- like you're doing a great, th- I mean, that sounds like, you know, you're doing a great thing and, and I don't know if you came up with that completely on your own or, or if you, you know, well, you I've had other, like there's 200... a lot of resources out there that, that can help people. Yeah. I've, yes. We've done some things, read some books, you know, I've interviewed almost 200 fathers now. So I've gotten so many good tidbits over the, over the last three years. The, um, the thing that's great for parents is that there's so many resources out there. You know, if you come yes. to our site and it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with you, you don't like it for some reason, you could, there are other places that have similar approaches or even different approaches and you can, and you can, you can seek those things out. There's so many resources available now that, that, you know, even 20 years ago, there weren't, you know, you'd have to find the right book or something, but it's easy to get that stuff now. And your po- yeah. things like your podcast, for example, you know, there's lots of people out there doing this stuff. So it's, so, it's terrific. Yeah. So much good stuff. But I just really wanted to make the point that what you guys are doing has been, been, you know, proven and, and it's, it's uh, the real deal. Um, when, you know, when you think back over the last 20 years of being a dad, when was the moment that you had this aha or realization that, Oh man, fatherhood matters. And I'm going to embrace the adventure of fatherhood. Do you recall the moment where you went, whoa, this matters? I think I felt that way from the beginning. Um, so when they were born or I, when your wife was pregnant or like what, like yeah, kind so, of what season? In- so we got married in December 30th and then on like, it must have been February 1st or 2nd, 1st or so, my wife pulls out a pregnancy test. She goes, we're pre- pregnant. <laughs> oh, no, really. And, um, so that was, I was like petrified actually. Uh, well, shoot, you mostly, just jumped the, you just jumped the gun on getting married and you didn't think you were going to get married, you know, and you're, so now yeah. it's all of a sudden, now you're a dad 30 days later. Yeah. Which means we didn't have like a, we didn't have like a, you know, we went from marriage to immediately pregnant. And, uh, so we didn't have that time. We're actually as empty nesters, we're having the time that we would have had, mm. you know, being married for a year or two. Uh, no, I think at that moment I was like, oh crap. Actually, and the number one thing for me was not like how do I raise – I felt pretty good about like how I would raise my kids. Like I'd mm. done like big brother programs. Like I liked – like I felt like I had a good rapport and a good approach with – with um, or I would. I I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't – I wasn't panicked by that. I was panicked by being able to financially support my family. Ah. Uh. That was my, honestly, that was my number one thing. I'm like, oh, like my career wasn't really where I wanted it to be. And I was living in Boston in the, in the early 2000s. And I'm like looking at housing prices. And I'm like, how on earth can, can I possibly raise a family and, and have a house? Like I, I couldn't figure it out. And it was an unbelievable motivator. And my wife and I actually had a discussion about it. I said, look, I'm going to disappear for about four years. The theory being that, that the infant and the baby needs mom 90% of the time and dad maybe 10% of the time. So I just had this idea that when my kids were like six, seven, eight, nine, once they got above that, I think that's when fatherhood kicks in. Like mm-hmm. when the, when, when the boy, especially the boys and the boys are older and that in the, in the early years I could actually spend, you know, a huge portion of my time focusing on career and being able to financially support the family. But with, always with this idea that I would come back around and, 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 um, and, 
uh, either back off a little bit or whatever, just to make sure I'm around. I always wanted to make sure that I was around. But in the first few years, I kind of didn't care as much. My wife's like, go, go out. Go out, support our family. I'll take care of the kids for the first few years. So did that um, work out well? And would you change anything looking back? No, it worked out great, but I didn't, but I didn't have the confidence it was going to work out well at the time. Ah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, we had that, we had that approach. I'm like, gosh, am I doing this? Like, is this, am I going to, am I going to, am I going to miss not being around my infants and two-year-olds as much? I, I mean, I was working a lot during those years and, um, I don't feel like I missed anything. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't know. But but uh, it was actually probably easier. But but it was actually hard on her because she didn't have the support that you yeah. know, it's being home with like toddlers all oh. day, day yeah. after day is like yeah. really hard. So yeah, that was like I, the hardest part of our marriage because because I'm, I'm mm. I was stressed out at work, you know, working crazy hours, and she was at home all the time. So that was actually the most difficult period. Yeah. So when we, so just to relate with you, when we had the twins, uh, we had four kids under the age of four and I had three jobs to support the family. And it was, we call it the dark year when the twins were born. We don't even remember that year because I was grinding, working, um, to provide, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. But, uh, I just think it's important for dudes to hear. It's like, you can try to plan every single piece of your life out, but your story is your story. So, um, I love that you were able to share yours with us. Um, and what have you actually, can, yeah. I, can I add one more thing though? Yeah, maybe because parents are going through this or whatever. My experience was that, and my wife, I think my wife would agree too. Although my wife loved the babies, but toddlers are hard. Like up until age four or five, it, parenthood feels like it's about 80% work and 20% joy. But once the kids mm. get older, they can get in the car on their own. You're like, every car trip doesn't have to be an ordeal. Like the kids can actually like, they can feed themselves without making a giant mess. Like once the kids get to a certain age, it flips around. It becomes like 80% fun and 20% work. But the early toddler years are just for me. And for uh, those were just hard. Those were the, the most difficult. I had pretty so, easy teenagers. So I, I can, you know, a teenager years can be brutal too, depending on if you're having behavior issues, but, um, Toddler years were stressful. So, so if you're in the toddler years and you're having a really hard time, it's not what you expected. It could be that that's normal. And having someone tell you mm-hmm. that this is normal, it's hard, is actually a little bit liberating. Like, oh, you didn't like it either? Like, this was – so. Yeah, yeah. My wife's the same. She loves babies, but she would be happy to hand a two-year-old off and then have them come back when they're five. Um, so two things I want to point out in what you said. As, as a man, as a father, as a leader, paying attention, being in tune in your home – one is when you are in those toddler years and it's the 80% work, 20% fun, like give your wife a lot of grace and yourself and, you know, as you guys navigate how you manage that. And then the second thing that I, I would say my wife and I are still to some level working on is me paying attention to the fact that my wife for, you know, six years had got into this, it's 80% work, 20% fun, helping her to transition to go, it, it doesn't have to be this way still. So to transition to the fun part, and I remember the first summer, it was like four years ago, we're working on, okay, like how do we transition from you being just mom grind, it's all work to enjoy it. And we bought them or we bought the family, um, well, my wife and the kids, uh, season passes to Six Flags in Sacramento, Vallejo, wherever. So they were going to like, you know, roller coasters and they'd go like every week. Yeah. And I think that's where they all, the kids started seeing mom as fun. Mom started seeing herself as fun again, because sometimes in those early years, you don't necessarily see yourself as fun. So pay attention to that because dudes, you could help your wife make that transition to, to that. And you yourself make that transition. So that's really helpful. Um, 
And, and everything you're talking about is being intentional. So much of it is just being intentional. Yeah. Awareness. Like just think about what's going on and like, can we make a change that and be a little more intentional about which way we're going? And, and if you, and if you and your wife can get on the same page about that, then you have, you have more influence over what's going on and you're not just, you're not just along for the ride. Although you are along for the ride, but you're not completely along for the ride. You can actually kind of steer a direction. So, and, and I mean, you you hit the nail on the head with the whole reason I do the Rebel and Create Fatherhood Field Notes podcast is I want dudes just to know who they are. And when I say fatherhood leader in the home, it's really just about awareness. You know, it's not about oh, I'm the patriarch leader of this house. It's that you are intentionally engaged in the conversation with your spouse and both working together to like navigate where we're headed. But I think some dudes have just never been invited into that role. They've never seen themselves. So they just put their head down and go to work and they're missing a huge fulfillment of the human experience to be engaged in what it means to lead and love a family. I I completely agree. And that's actually, that's a big part of our, our parenting programs is, is, um, and we talk about consequences and all those things, but, but parents have a role that mm. no one else has, which is your role is to train and teach your kids. And if they're having behavior and other problems, um, you, you have to, you have to show them an alternative way t- to deal with their problems other than acting out and swearing at people and slamming doors. Like, right. like it's up to, it's up to the child, whether or not they're going to behave well, like you can't make a child do anything, but you can, you can offer them. Here's how, when you get frustrated with your sister, instead of hitting her, here's what you can do instead. And oh, by the way, when you do hit her, you get a consequence. So, you, so there's a consequence, but you also mm-hmm. offer them this coaching that says you can do something else instead. And that's like all of that, that sort of coaching and teaching role that, that, that um, you know, as a parent, you can sort of take seriously and the leadership role. And on top of that modeling behavior role, which is that if you don't want your kids to be screaming all the time when they get angry, then it's best to not scream all the time when you're angry. Like if you can, (laughs) it's hard, it's hard not to sometimes, but we're all, we're modeling those behaviors all the time. That's part of the leadership role as a parent. Yeah. So since, since we kind of brought that up now, let's just kind of deviate and jump into that for a moment. And we'll just, we'll just keep digging into that. So if I'm a father and I'm like, okay, I'm 35 to 40 years old. I've, stumbled upon this podcast or others and I'm and I'm and I'm personally learning right I'm personally learning not to yell when my wife triggers me or my kid triggers me or whoever right I'm learning not to yell or slam the door or just whatever name the thing and I'm also trying to teach my kid so what's your suggestion around this like I'm learning and growing my kids learning and growing to what level you know, do you allow your kid to see it? You know, you said your parents didn't, you didn't know they were arguing and the marriage wasn't good. So to what level do you model this growth learner mindset while you're also coaching your kids? Um, well, first of all, it's never too late to start. If you've, you know, if, if you're a parent that we would call a screamer, you're just like yelling and screaming all the time at your kids. You can, you can learn not to do that. Um, and putting yourself in situations where you're less likely to do that and be, and have awareness of it. Number one, awareness is realizing that yelling doesn't work because if it did, parenting would be easy. All you do is yell at your kids <laughs> and they would behave well, but it doesn't work that way. It works once or twice, but over a long period of time, like it doesn't affect behavior change. So um, it's perfectly fine to tell your kid, I'm, look, I'm working on my you know, my temper, I realize I yell also, I'm working on it. You can tell your kid that if you want to. Mm-hmm. You, don't have to you, know, you don't have to go like have long explanations, mm-hmm. but just say, hey, I'm working on it too. Um, and you need to work on it also. And there's nothing wrong with when you do lose your cool, because everyone will lose their cool eventually. It's that no one's perfect. 
you know, when, when, when you, you can go back to your child and you can model this behavior, you can model to your child what it means to honestly apologize and say, look, mm. I didn't handle that well. Next yeah. time I get upset with you, I'm, I'm going to try not to fly off the handle. I'm going to handle it a little more straightforward or, you know, deal with it better. So there's nothing so, wrong with modeling, mod, modeling an honest apology or recognition to your child that you didn't handle something well. That's fine. That's perfectly fine too, because that's, that's the way life is. I mean, we're, we'll never, you know, no, no one's ever going to be perfect. For sure. So yeah. with that, if we can be, if we can go, yeah, you know what? Okay. I'm willing to apologize. So I will, I'm, I apologize. I can do that. Any tools because any tools that you would suggest to a parent to actually help them change their own behavior, meaning me as a parent, if I'm saying yelling's not work, let's just yelling's the easy one. So yelling's not working. I yell once a week. I apologize to my kid. I yell again next week. I apologize to my kid. And my kid starts to see that growth in the, there, no growth. It's just apologies. Yeah. So any tools, like how do you dig in and do the work versus just, acknowledging yep so what, what we have what we found is is you know most parents that are if they're yelling all the time or having problems all the time these are patterns of behavior it didn't happen once it's happening over and over again mm -hmm. and when you work with with a coach or you work these programs or whatever one of the big values of it is since it happens over and over again you can plan what you're going to do the next time and we found that when you have a plan in place ahead of time here's what i'm going to do the next time that when it happens, you you when that situation inevitably happens again, you've got a plan in place and you actually go into execution mode. It lowers your blood pressure. You're much calmer and you're sort of executing the plan that you've already done. Too, too much of the time, we're, we're just winging it. Like, But but when you have a plan for how you're going to handle it, you actually accomplish not yelling by the fact that you even had a plan together. Like, here's what I'm going to do when I come home from work tonight. And I know I told him to do his chores and he didn't do them yet again. He's sitting on the couch, hasn't done his homework. He's playing video games and he knows that, you know, homework has to get done first. You're driving home and you're like, I know that, I know that like, I'm going to find him doing that. <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're already yeah. in this argument before you even get home and yeah. open the door. You're already, and then up. you you're scream because stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that thing that you're expecting and now it happened. Like I just knew it. I know you just go off, you fly off the handle. If, if that's been happening over and over again, you can say, look, here's what I'm going to do next time I get home. And and you, we talk through those processes. And that's a really common when you come home from work and you, you have that argument in your head is before you even get in the house. So good. And, um, and you know, we'll, we'll counsel parents, say, look, you want to, when you get home, if there's something going on, you want, just go to your room for like half an hour and just decompress and then deal with the problem. And then here's what you want to do. You want to make sure you know what the consequence is, that the kid knew what the consequence was going to be ahead of time. Just execute the consequence and then, and then leave it at that and then disconnect. Disconnecting is a very powerful tool, which is that you don't have to, we, this was James Lehman and the program is called the total transformation program. Like, like the first time I ever heard about this was on a radio ad. And he said, you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to disconnecting from a child who's, who's having issues like that and, and, and being combative and, and fighting, whatever. You don't have to go to those arguments. You can just say, look, I'm not, we're not going to have this argument and you disconnect. It's actually a very powerful approach because, because kids actually don't, kids don't have a lot of power in life, but they have a superpower with their parents. They can, they can make this <laughs> little, little kid can make a full grown adult fly off the handle. Like, like that's an incredible, like, <laughs> like that's a, that's a crazy power that a child has. And they know it. 
<laughs> so why? And so, so those things, when, when you realize those things and you understand what the dynamics are, you, you then, you then approach the next, the next time the situation happens, you, you've just put the, you, you have like, we have such a high success rate because the next time the situation happens, you've got the plan in place and you just execute yeah. the plan. So it so doesn't mean everything's perfect. It doesn't mean right. that, that the kid wasn't That's actually moving towards, at home yeah. sitting on the couch, but, but it, it heads you down the road of, of, of creating a, you know, sort of a culture of accountability in the household where these things um, function better. And, and your role as, as the, as the authority in the house, like the legitimate authority in the household, someone needs to be in charge, you know, in a company anywhere, someone needs to be in charge. And we, we don't recommend that it's the child. We recommend that it's the parent. <laughs> not uh, everyone agrees. I, you laugh, but not everyone agrees with us. And, and the people that don't, we're like, well, that's, we're not the right, we're not the right people for yeah, you. Yeah. Like we actually think, we actually think that's a parent's sort of role and duty and that things generally don't work out well when the kids are in charge. Sounds silly, but not we're, we're not, not everyone agrees with us. That's so. funny. So a couple questions for you. <clears throat> Why do parents or those in authority leadership roles, why do we want to get pissed? Why do we want to have the kids see my emotions? So like we match their emotion, right? So <clears throat> for me to be disconnected, and just be super cool, calm, collect. It's like, there's something I want you to like, Oh my gosh. Like I want you to see how mad I am. It doesn't really help. It doesn't really do anything, but you look at a CEO who's just super aggro. Right. And everyone's like, well, be careful. Walk on eggshells around so-and-so. Cause he's going to fly off the handle. If things don't go his way or whatever, the, w what's your opinion on that? Why we allow our emotions to kind of like show up so much. Most, most CEO, honestly, most CEOs that don't have like incredible control of their emotions don't make it. Well, if, sure, um, sure. But but no, my point is like that's one of the things we say is that you need to you need to be in your household like the good boss, the good boss that doesn't fly off the handle, like the boss that doesn't get in a screaming match with an employee who's not doing their thing. They just sort of they talk to them, they talk them through it, hear the consequences. You know, like like be the good be the good boss in your household, the the boss that everyone respects, the boss that's not a pushover. But the boss that isn't crazy off the handle situation either. Yeah. So, so the know, difference I, though is like a CEO maybe started off as an employee and then they work their way up. You know, you become a parent, you're it. This is there's no training you're class. You're it no matter what. Yeah, yeah there you're is no it. training class. I mean, there's yeah. there's classes you could go to if you want, but most most parents probably haven't done the work to do that. I mean, they're you know so my question is that, how do you do the disconnect? How do you go, I am just this emotionally doesn't need to charge me. <laughs> you have to, that's, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good question. And, and, um, you, you pretend it's almost like you're pretending you're someone else. You just try, you just say, look, the next time they do that, I'm not going to react. And you have that in your head. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to react. And then you don't react. And the next thing you know, you're, you're actually doing it. Like, like it's almost like you're someone's pushing you on a bike. You're learning how to ride, and they let go. So you you have to aspire first of all to be want someone who doesn't fly off the handle. So you have this right, aspiration so to be down. something that you're not, mm -hmm. and then and then you actually try it, and you can you can be that person. I remember the first time as a boss, like you mean, I tell some people someone what to do. Like it was really weird. Like I didn't know, and someone mm -hmm. counseled me. Look, pretend you've done it before. 
You know what I mean? That, that fake it till you make it like fake it till you make it like be try to just tell yourself, I'm going to be that person who's not going to fly off the handle. And then if you, if you just have one or two successes, you're like, Oh, I can actually do this. Most people can do it. That's, that's the thing is like, you can be successful at this. Like it, it actually, it actually works and you can turn, turn things around. Hmm. But you're right. It's hard. It's hard. And, um, you know, one of the things is you should offer yourself grace if you slip because no one's a hundred percent. Right. Um, there are going to be times where you just like, you just, you kind of lose it, but that, but losing it can't be your go-to way for dealing with behavior problems. It's not effective. Right. Yeah. You think, okay, what am I going to do this the next 18 years? This isn't going to work well. Um, so have a plan. So really this comes to, to have a plan. All right. So let's, let's jump into a couple things here. Um, I'm just going to ask you one last question that I typically ask and then, and then we'll move in. Some of it may have some, some to do with this, but podcast is fatherhood field notes. You're doing it. Open up your life, sharing what matters, sharing your work that you do with empowering parents. Um, the, the mantras rebel and create and the ideas, like what's something you're rebelling against as a man, as a warrior in, in this world, but then not just to be destructive and tear something down, but to create something out of that. So when you hear that rebel and create, what's something you're rebelling against, whether personally, professionally, and then, um, what do you hope to create out of that? Um, well, the one that's most related to the work that we do, and I see this all the time now is this idea that, and I see this on Facebook a lot when a kid has done something wrong, they say, we need to hold the parents responsible. Mm. And that's, that's antithetical to what we do, which is that we're like, no, you need to hold the child responsible for their behavior. Like that's the only way they're going to make it out is you need to hold hold them. And this idea that you're constantly holding the parent, the parent may not have control over the child either. Like they're, they might be trying also. Um, but the idea that, that the child does something wrong and you punish the parent hurts. It actually hurts the child. If you think about it, because the mm-hmm. child starts thinking like, Hey, I don't behave well. I'm like a, I'm a, I'm like a bad kid. And it's because of my parents. It's my parents fault that I'm a bad kid. Hmm. And now they like start believing that they're bad and it's because of their parent. Like that can't make the situation worse. There's only one person that can fix that behavior problem. That's the child. The child has to be, has to be part of the equation. And the idea that we're holding parents responsible for what a kid did. Um, now if I'm taking like neglect out of it and all this, these other type things, but, but when you punish the parent for, for the, for what the child did at school, that's not, that's not helpful. Punish the child, make the child, experience consequences from it. And we urge parents when your child's not doing something right, go into the schools and say, help me hold him accountable. We need to hold the child accountable. So I just see that a lot. And we, we, we sort of bristle at the idea that you're holding the, the, the parent specifically accountable for the child's behavior when it needs to be put on the child. And I'm not talking about like four-year-olds and five-year-olds. I'm talking mostly like teenagers yeah. and things like that. Like the teenager needs to be responsible for their behavior. They're not going to learn otherwise. Or they're going to learn the wrong lesson, which is someone else is in control of their behavior, which is not true. Yeah, or I'm a, yeah, exactly. So, I'm a victim and it's always somebody else's fault as to why I screwed up. It's, you know, they're never going to, if they can't hold. So then out of that, it sounds like the rebellion is against this idea that it's the parent's fault for their kid's behavior. And what you're yeah, creating just, is, is accountable and responsible children or uh, yeah. uh, hopefully eventually adults. Yeah. And I see it all the time. I feel like I'm in minority now by, by believing that I'm like, no, just hold the kids responsible. <laughs> like it's the kid who did it, <laughs> but we're, we're, um, yeah. So what does that look like practically? Um, it may be just reflecting on your own teens who, you know, who just moved out of the house, but, but in situations where, you know, whether you want to share a story or not, but where you, there was a mistake, which they will happen. And then holding them accountable, like, 
maybe there's a story or you could just give a scenario for your kids 15, they do something dumb and you hold them accountable for it. What does that look like? Well, the most, we see this a lot. The, the most common one that, that, or, or a very common one you will see is that a kid struggled in a class mm-hmm. and is going to fail and parents will step in and do the work for the child mm. so that they don't fail. Like it, like this kid can't fail. You can't have that on your record. Or they'll go into the school and talk to school out of like, you know, lifting their grade up. Like he'll never get into college if you don't get his grade up or whatever. And they go in and they save, they save that child as opposed to letting the child deal with, with the consequence of the fact that, that they, they didn't do well in that class. Um, and next time they either need to figure out like either this is not the right thing for me or I need to learn to study better or whatever. But the lesson being learned about having, you know, being saved by your parent by going in. And we were, we were, we were, um, we actually homeschooled our kids for the most part. Um, but we were, we were very strict homeschoolers in terms of grades, but, but, um, when, but when they were, we, we started when they were like in sixth or seventh grade, but, Mm -hmm. but before that, whenever things happened to school, like that was, we sort of let the school deal with that stuff as much as possible versus stepping in and, and saving or rescuing. Yeah. This whole saving and rescuing thing, you know, from danger. Yes. But from, from mistakes that might actually be good learning experience, like, like it's not, you know, sometimes the kids need that. Sometimes that's, and, and it's, it's related to just letting, and this is really hard, which is watching your kids struggle is brutal as a parent. I mean, just mm. brutal watching them struggle in, in various ways. Um, but sometimes they have to struggle through it. Like a lot of times they do. That's how they, that's growth comes through struggle and watching a child struggle is just as, as a parent is like, that was the hardest thing for me as a parent was watching, watching my kids when they weren't thriving and then having to deal with like, yeah, you kind of coach them and stuff, but they, they got to figure it out on their own mm-hmm. after that. I mean, they have to be the ones to do it, to, to, to fix that thing that they're struggling with, whether it's relationships or, or, or whatever. When they're struggling, then how do you support them if you're not going to come in and solve it for them? Do you support them with love and emotional support and coaching as if need be, but then you got to let them out and fix and, and, and deal with it and show them, yeah. show them, show them that you have confidence that they can fix it. And a lot of people have been through this before, and this is not an uncommon thing in childhood. Make them, make them realize that what they're going through is not, you know, completely unique. And so many people have been through this. Um, right. And that's, that's what we're like, doing oh, with parents too, mm-hmm. with father, that we're doing the same thing with fatherhood yeah. here, which is explain to parents like, like if you're struggling, yeah, that's kind of normal. Like, you know, it's don't, don't be too panicked by it, but it's the same thing with, with your kids. So ah, we're so addicted to this idea of like a perfect comfort, comfortful life, like a comfortable life. As soon as, as soon as the struggles come, it's like, we freak out. Oh, poor me. We're, we, yes. So the struggle is what the struggle is the opportunity, but you're, you're also acknowledging that it's, that it's difficult. A couple things. I know we're coming up to, to the, to the end soon. So I want to ask some things that are on this, uh, this, uh, intake form that we, we had you complete. One of the things that you, you've kind of alluded to, but I just want you to discuss it is don't Esther as underestimate, don't underestimate our kids abilities. Yeah, I think we infantile, our kid, I don't, am I saying that word right? <laughs> we treat our kids, we treat our kids, uh, uh, like they're too young and they can't do anything. Mm. And, and they're actually, kids are pretty capable. They may not be completely mature about everything, but, but, um, 
they can do more than we give them credit for. So I'm always I'm always a proponent of of pushing the envelope in terms of giving your kids responsibilities. You know, I think it's Alaska. You like a kid can drive at age 13 or 14. Like it's a pretty young age because there's like they have to because they're they're usually part of, um, you know, earning earning money for the household or whatever. And, and they're and I'm like all for like when my kids we had a we had a uh, like a boat when my kids were younger. Hmm. And in in the state of Maine, once you're 10 years old, you can operate a boat legally, like without a parent around. And I trained them and, and I made them go out and like do this on your own. And um, and then we used to, I live in Florida now, but we used to trailer a boat back and forth. And when my child was 16, you know, when all through 15, I, I, I showed him how to trailer the boat and stuff. And then I made him on the highway driving back and forth pull the trailer at age 16. And, and I mean, I showed him kind of what to do or whatever, but he had to get behind the wheel and do it. And, and, you know, you don't do it in heavy traffic. You, you know, you try to, you try to make yeah, it as, set up as some, safe yeah. as possible, but, 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 but don't at, underestimate them. Give them, give them responsibilities actually more than they might want. <laughs> I used so, to make that. Yeah. So you, you talk about boats, trailers, two other things that you'd put down, you know, hotel reservation and McDonald's talking about those. Yeah. Stories. So when we would drive back and forth from Maine to Florida, I used to make them when they were like 11 or 12 years old, we'd have to find a, a motel. We had a dog. So you have to call the motel up and it was getting close to when we wanted to stop and stay at a motel. I would make them call and make the reservations while I was driving. And so now That's they're so like 12 good. or 13 and it's, like for a child when you're 12 or 13, calling a stranger who's an adult on the phone and asking them whether or not they have reservations and whether the, they, they're a pet-friendly hotel, like they're petrified to make that phone call to talk to a stranger. Like I can't make that phone call. I mean, yeah, here's – and you coach them through it. Here's what you're going to do. And they actually got pretty good at it. Now they're like no problem, you know, 13 calling up a hotel like after they did a few of them. <sighs> yeah. But it's like that's the kind of stuff like a child needs to learn how to talk to an adult who's not mom or dad mm-hmm. in a way that's effective and – and it's humbling to them as well because like they like it's scary and it's good for your kid to do something they're not good at because the first few times they do the conversation they fumble over their words they 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 sound awkward but but I explained to them I go it's better to be 13 14 and 15 and sound awkward than to have never done this and now you're in your 20s and you're awkward because you haven't done it before because because you're going to be viewed as cute and interesting and whatever, but you know, you're going to get a pass because you're young and <laughs> yeah. everyone knows you're not very good at it. If you're an adult and you haven't done these things, you don't get a pass. Well, what's sad is we're giving passes What's- to 22, 23 year olds now. And it's like, dude, I was married at 21 and had a kid at 23. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm looking at a 23 year old today going, Oh, that's so cute. Watching them try to order their food at a restaurant or whatever it is. So yeah. I think that's killer. And I think just my, as my mind spinning, as you're talking about that is as a parent, when your kid does screw up on the phone and it's like super awkward, don't snatch the phone out of their hands and be like, <laughs> Oh, you screwed that. Just make a plan beforehand. And the plan is you know, laugh it off with them. Yeah, you Not laugh it off. Not a big deal. Hey, it it's off. all good. Let's call a different motel. They're, they think and they're at, at McDonald's, you, you make you make them go order food and stuff when they're like 12. Send them up to the counter. Let them deal with the whole thing. You know, it's really awkward for them, but they learn how to do it. And so anyway, I, it's, it's critical, critical. We've even had um, our kids go in and, and buy the groceries. Like not if it's like a huge plan, but hey, we need this, this, and this. Go in and do that or walk into the grocery yeah, store and do it. Um yeah, I think it's so critical for our kids to learn those basic life skills. Uh, la- so, yeah, I was going to say last night I, I made them show for the summer how much money they made and how much money they spent. And they had to 
present that to the family. Yeah. Um, cause I did mine like net worth and everything with the family, uh, just to start bringing them into these, you know, these monthly meetings. Uh, so it was awkward. My one daughter's up there like, uh, I don't know what to say, but next time she'll be better. Next time she'll be better. And they're looking at, well, I made X babysitting and I spent X baby, you know, on food and crap. So anyways, I think giving our kids those responsibilities is so critical for, for them. Cause I'm 40, almost 40, 39, figuring out some of this stuff. And if I would have been given more opportunities at 13, 14, 15, 16, life would definitely yeah. just be a little different. And it's, and they learn, they learn to struggle and they learn how to do things that make them uncomfortable. And I explain that to them as well. Like, like I haven't been doing parenting podcasts, like, like my whole life. Like right. it was, it was, it was, I was in my late forties when I, when I first started doing this and I was whole, like at the beginning, I'm like, ah, what am I going to say? Like, I'm like, it was, I mean, I'm sure that you were nervous the first few podcasts you did. Oh yeah. Like, like, sure. can you imagine that? Like, it's like, it's scary. Even as an adult, as, as someone who's in their fifties, it seems like they got it. They kind of got it together. Like, like the first time you're doing these types of things or job interviews or taking on new, new challenges or whatever, it's scary. It's, it's legitimate. It's the same feeling. It's just that we've been through it enough times that we know what the progression looks like. And it's not, we're comfortable with the discomfort. Right. So what's so funny is, is when I used to look at a 40 year old or 50 year old, I think, like you said, they got it together. But the real the reality is they don't. So if we could make our kids go through that at 13, like you're saying, then they're not going to be 29 starting a new job super nervous because or maybe they'll be nervous, but it won't like really come out. But they'll do it. But they'll, but they'll do it do as it. opposed yes. to just stay at home and like, just it, like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I have anxiety. Like, no, you can do it. <laughs> you just haven't done it. So good. Oh, so, so good. Um, Kimball, any last things before I ask my last question? The conversation has been great. I love the work you're doing with empowering parents. Um, any last thoughts, anything that we didn't touch on that would be valuable or important or that you'd like to share before I ask my last question? Um, well, since, since we're on the, like, uh, in, in my area where, since we're dealing with child behavior things, mm -hmm. I always, I always want to leave this with parents who are dealing with kids who have behavior problems. Which is that if, if your is is that don't take your child's behavior personally. So if your if your child sits in a room and looks at you in the mm. eye and says "f you," I hate you. You're the worst parent ever. Slams the door and says that. Take a deep breath and go. Don't take it personally. It's a behavior problem. They're, they're dealing with some problems. And they and they and that's the only way they know how to deal with it at this point. And they haven't gotten better problem solving skills around that. Don't take it personally, because because we're so hopeful that, that these problems are solvable. We see it all the time that if, that if you take it personally, your ability to offer your child grace and forgiveness for that hor for those horrible things they said to you, like is, is much more difficult. You, you want to, you want to not take it personal, view it as a behavior problem because then you can move past it and you don't have to like, remember those terrible things they might've said to you because it happens a lot. Teenagers mm -hmm. can say terrible things to their parents and, you can't hold that over their head. It's a behavior problem. Hmm. And if you want a relationship, everyone should want a relationship with their kids, you know, on into the future, then you can't, you can't, you can't hold that over them for the rest of their lives because they said something terrible to you. So, so don't take their behavior personally, even when they're saying F you hmm. take it as a behavior problem. So and, good. and when so they, and when they fix those problems, forget about that. Forget about those things they said to you. So, Hmm. So good. So freeing. So freeing for parents to carry that with them. Um, 
Yeah, really good. Thanks for sharing that. All right, Kimball, my last question, uh, legacy question. All right. Your kids are just now moving out of the house, starting on their path. Imagine 20 years down the road, you are now peering into their homes, seeing their family, seeing the way they're living life. What is it that you see being played out in that home? And you know, the day in day out struggle of raising them, being a dad, being a husband to your wife, what do you see playing out in their home? And you know that you and your wife's work left that legacy. Um, I want to see them loving their kids and their spouses. Uh, and at the same time, I want to, I, I might, I'd love for them to be intentional about what they're doing. And so I just, and I can kind of see that I can see that they're, they're, you know, being ten- intentional about being a parent and intentional about being, uh, a spouse. So love it. What more could we want for our kids, man? Beautiful. Uh, Kimball, thank notice you. I didn't say, notice I didn't say happiness. I want them to be happy because I, that's hard. That's a hard, I don't want to be unhappy, but like, that's a hard place to be. Like who knows like whether you're going to be like, I don't want anyone to be miserable, but life's hard. And well, I think it's a great acknowledgement. Life that are just hard. Yeah. I think it's a great acknowledgement so that the things that you mentioned are things that are choices, right? At the end of the day, I would say happiness to some level is a choice, but in the middle of a heavy struggle with a, with a, let's just use a, you know, kid with behavior disorders as, as, as kind of the center point. Sometimes you're not happy in those seasons, but the things you said is uh, choices. I want them to be intentional, which is a choice. I want them to love their kids, which is a choice. I want them to love their spouse, which is a choice. And so, and I, and thanks for jumping in and saying, notice I didn't say happiness because most of us are like, oh, I really want my kid to be happy and healthy and blah, blah, blah. But in a sense, sometimes happiness, the word is self-focused, right? It's about yeah. me. And what you're saying is you want them to be making choices about those that are around them. And I would argue, you know, especially if you look at this as a, from the faith perspective, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, God has given me responsibility in my hands, right? And and to take care of those responsibilities. Like one day I'll give an account for how did I love my wife? How did I love my kids? Um, and, and so that's a choice. And sometimes my happiness has to be put to the side when making choices to make sure that I'm serving those, those responsibilities well. I think you said that perfectly. Mm. Kimball, ah, I'm so sad this is uh, coming to the top of the hour. So appreciate the work you're doing, the way that you're impacting families, truly changing uh, changing families' legacies for generations with the work that you and your team are doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If people want to learn more about you, want to learn more about empowering parents, want to get involved, they need support, where would they go? Uh, the best place to, to go is empoweringparents.com. And especially if you're having behavior problems with your kid and you're not sure what to do, sign up for our newsletter. Free newsletter, we'll, we'll send you two or three articles a week on dealing with behavior issues. Beautiful. Awesome. Kimball, thank you. Thank you for the man you are, the husband, the father, and the work you do. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Until next time. Thank you. What another incredible conversation. In looking through my notes, so many nuggets from Kimball. And two that really stuck out that are connected is one that it's good for your kids to do things that they're not good at. Uh, Otherwise, how will they learn? And then the other one 
is let your kids struggle and how Kim will share that that was really hard to do as a parent, but necessary for your children to allow them to struggle and not rescue them from everything. Such a good conversation. Uh, thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That's who your kids, your spouse, and your community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the new children's book, The Adventure of Fatherhood, that is coming out early 2023. We fully funded this project on Kickstarter, so thank you to everybody who participated. If you weren't able to participate, you can still pre-order a copy at adventureoffatherhood.com. This book is going to be legendary, inviting fathers into their role and connecting them deeply to their children. I look forward to hanging out with you all next time.